Like Pastor Scott had mentioned, we have been talking for a couple of months, probably more than that, about me coming to preach. And um, he heard a couple weeks ago that my mom had passed away. And so Pastor Scott was very generous to reach out to me and ask me, you know, um, how I was doing with that and whether I wanted to come. And so I really appreciate that, um, just allowing me that grace to choose. And I'm very glad to be able to be here with you to share with you. So, it's always a delight to share with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I have two notes before I really get to preaching. Um, And the first is that the sermon is not exactly chronological. I'm going to move back and forth through time a little bit. And the second note is that I'm not going to defend a certain kind of um, approach to gender or to leadership. What my approach here is to defend the gospel. Um, So, now that I've said those... Let me share with you. She knew it. It colored the way that she played with her childhood friends. It was caught up in the aromas of dinner and in the conversation as the adults were cleaning up after they had eaten. If a man came home limping, her neighbors would react and she knew. As the morning sun came up and cast its golden light all around, she was aware that its light covered her home and her neighbor's home, and that it kept spreading all the way across Egypt. As that day turned into night and her parents would tuck her in tight, Miriam knew. She knew that the sun had set on her captors, too, the ones who sent women away weeping when their husbands were too ill to work. The ones who looked the other way when children dropped their water water jugs and had none to bring home. It was there, all around her, the injustice of slavery. The despair of a people who had no living memory of freedom. For about four centuries they lived and breathed the air of oppression and the child Miriam knew it. Let's pray. Lord God, Father of every land and every people group, over all of time, we pray to you. Sometimes we get lost in our despair. Forgive us and remind us that you alone are God, you who lovingly made us. Remind us that you grieve when we rebel, and you grieve when we are oppressed. Thank you, Lord God, for the love you've given us through your Son, Jesus. Thank you for the outpouring of your sweet Holy Spirit. We ask for your presence and the continued unfolding of your salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 2, verses 23-25 tell us about the death of the Pharaoh and the crying out of the people. During those many days, the king of Egypt died And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. In Exodus 3, the Lord spoke to Moses through the burning bush. 
And he told Moses that he had heard the cries of the people and he was going to respond with deliverance. But even before that momentum got started, the Lord was working. We don't know for sure if this following story is definitely about Miriam because she's not specifically named, but we're pretty certain because we only see the names of three children for Amram and Jochebed. Those three children, Aaron and Moses and Miriam. So we're going to err on the side of trusting that really was Miriam in this story. Um, So they had these two older children, and um, then there was this decree to kill all of the baby boys, and this couple had a baby boy, so they hid him. And after three months, they realized they couldn't continue to keep him a secret. So his mother more or less obeyed Pharaoh's decree. Uh, I imagine Miriam may have helped to gather the reeds, and she smelled the tar as her mom crafted an ark, just big enough to fit one baby. And if the smell of that bothered her, she definitely was spared by not needing to be around the ark that Noah made. Um, Just remember that Miriam knew She sensed what was in the political air, as children tend to do. After months of watching her mom's pregnancy and the emotional roller coaster of watching her baby brother um, escape death for three months, Miriam was watching. And her brother was put into the Nile, just like all of the other innocent baby boys, except he had a thin layer of protection. So Miriam watched. And the Pharaoh's daughter showed up. The baby cried. Pharaoh's daughter pulled him out of the water and she named him Moses. Miriam stepped out of hiding and she made an offer. Her offer was accepted. Miriam went home and she brought her mom back to where Pharaoh's daughter held her baby brother, Jacobed's son. In this ironic twist, the mother was to be paid for raising her son the son she was supposed to watch be put to death. She was to care for him until he was weaned. So Miriam bore her brother to safety. She saw the task in front of her and she did it faithfully. With the simplicity of a child, she just did what was in front of her and she watched her brother. She saw how she could help by offering her mother as a nursemaid and she did it. When I hear about Miriam and how she bore her baby brother to safety, I'm I'm hearing an echo of what would come when Mary bore her son for our salvation. Just like what Mary would do, Miriam was just playing her role. After two lifetimes, Miriam finally began to see the fruit of the act of protection that she had done. For one lifetime, Moses grew up into an adult in Pharaoh's household. For a second lifetime, Moses fled to the land of Midian. Finally, he returned. That child who had saved her brother had grown into a woman, a woman who had lived decades in slavery. So finally, when Moses returned from the land of Midian, things started happening. So I wonder, did Miriam hear her brothers negotiating about how to respond to the Lord's calling? 
How did her conversations with her neighbors change as her brother came back? What did they say? What did her neighbors say when Moses started challenging Pharaoh? And how did Miriam respond to that? This is what she had waited for, the deliverance of her people. So what was it like for her? Because there was starting to be some traction, some momentum. There were a series of signs and wonders and plagues. And after that, the Lord gave instructions for the people to follow. These instructions were telling people to eat food in a certain way for a certain period of time. They were very specific rules, and part of the ritual there was to be a sacrifice. Um, Every family would take a baby sheep or a baby goat, and they would kill it and eat it and put some of the blood on their doorposts. In that way, they would show their faith. If a family had blood on their doorposts at that time, it would be a clear sign of their belief in the Lord and their obedience to the Lord. When the angel of the Lord saw that blood, the angel would pass over that house and there wouldn't be no more bloodshed there. But if there was no blood on the doorposts, then the angel of the Lord at that time would kill all of the firstborn, all of the firstborn sons and all of the firstborn of the livestock. So I wonder, where was Miriam when those instructions for the Passover were being given out? When her people were learning these steps for the rituals that they'd have to perform, where was she when the yeast and the loaves of bread were either being eaten or thrown out? It is apparent she was there in the middle of it, but we don't have an account of her role. So, I don't know, maybe she was quietly obedient. Maybe she answered the same questions over and over again. We just don't know. Um, So I'm going to ask of us, where are we when God's salvation is being put into practice? It doesn't often get written down. Most of the time our small acts, like sharing a meal with a family in need, they don't go recorded. We just do it. Um, Some people will write down their prayers, but it's not like we're recording what's coming out of their hearts and their mouths as they pray to the Lord. In our time, we do have the gospel. We have the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ that's readily accessible to us. We might not have all of our good deeds written down or recorded, but we have the knowledge of what God did in history, that loving sacrifice that Jesus made so that we can live. Even as we're so many millennia removed from the time when people of Israel were in bondage, the Egyptians, we continue to find ourselves in need of that salvation. We need what Jesus did, how he defeated sin and death, that what he did is very real, very true. But we're still living in this fallen world and we're broken because of it. And so we desperately need the loving work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our communities. We need ourselves to be saved from sin and oppression. Um, Just a little example here. Consider two types of people. And imagine if either of these types of people asked for a drink of water. So consider a middle-aged Caucasian white male, pension fund, money in the American social security system. He needs a drink of water. Okay? A young girl in a third world country with a physical disability whose family's in debt. She needs a drink of water. 
who is going to listen to these people? Whose attention can either of them get? And what about ourselves, our own voices? If we need a drink of water, whose attention can we get? And I'm telling you, we need water. We need the living water that only Jesus can supply. And not only that, but when we ask him for that, that living water of salvation, he listens and he provides. So the people of Israel, when they were crying out, God answered them. When we're crying out for our salvation, God answers us. Um, I know this is dangerous ground because I have people in charge of my ordination process here, but I'm going to make a confession. Um, I have had more than one bad habit, and this particular bad habit um, was more like a character trait for so many years. Um, And it especially came out when I was in church. I would sit in church, and I would judge everyone and everything. And the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm taking notes, I'm listening to the preacher, I'm flipping through my Bible, and I'm trying to stay on top, and I'm trying to get to, you know, what's the deeper message here. So I think I was pretty good at multitasking, or really bad at it. Um, I had holed myself all up in myself. I was just bound in this prison of self-righteousness. I'm not wholly sanctified with regard to this, and it's pretty embarrassing for me. Um, But God's still working on me. Um, Now I've learned that every judgment of mine would move me farther and farther away from the community of people around me. That prison kept me from getting to know others and their gospel stories. It kept me from finding the comforting nurture that I needed so desperately. But the whole time I I was praying. Even if I was oblivious to this prison I was in, Um, I knew that I wasn't quite in the right place to live into my calling. I knew that God was calling me towards leadership and ministry, but I sensed that there was something not right in myself that needed to change. Um, I was reviewing my role as a victim and trying to figure out, you know, how do I get out and how do I be who I need to be to serve in ministry. At the same time, I was praying. I wasn't just self-focused. I was asking God about my calling and the next steps in my life. And God heard those prayers. God knew so much better than I did what I really needed. And God began to set me free. Just like in the Exodus, in a really messy process. You see the people wandering in the desert, and it's, it's messy. It's been similar for me. Um, there are times when I'm like, God, my Egypt looked a lot better than my desert. Uh, There have been times when I've really exasperated the Lord, uh, but still he delivered me and he is showing me the way to the promised land. Um, Before rescuing the people from uh, the land of Egypt, the Lord gave Moses these instructions about the Passover feast. Um, And I know it's not in the Bible, but I'm pretty sure that we can assume Miriam participated in that. Um, She and her household, they had gotten rid of the leaven in their home. They had gotten rid of that bread. Um, They were preparing and slaughtering a lamb, and so on and so on. Um, So she was living in hope and in faith. She believed that the God of her ancestors was going to be faithful, and so she acted accordingly. 
We hear from Miriam again after this freedom became a reality for the Hebrew people. And this is the first time in scriptures when she is actually named. After the Lord defeated the Egyptians, drowning the armies in the river, this declaration was made. So in Exodus 15, the first verses, 1 through 18, there's this song in there. Um, And then we see in verse 20, 20, um, Miriam is named. And then in verse 21, there's a refrain to that song. So we can try and decide who we think sang what and when. Um, But really the point is that there was this song. It was a proclamation of the freedom that the Lord had granted to the people of Israel. So I just wanted to share just a couple verses. So in verse 16, that says, Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. And then in verse 21, which has definitely got Miriam's name attached to it, and I think a lot of us know this one, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both the horse and the driver he has hurled into the sea. This was her song of deliverance. It was a declaration of the freedom that the Lord had brought. And it reminds me of how we remember our freedom as Americans with the Declaration of Independence. Um, there was that time of giving thanks. But, you know, we continue through the story, and it gets messy. They're begging for water in a way that is not honoring to the Lord, and he starts to get exasperated. Um, For me, as God began to address my sin of pride, it has been messy. Um... But what God really was doing there was opening me up to Christian community and softening my heart towards my brothers and sisters. And part of that process for me was um, learning to share communion with my brothers and sisters. And so that's become a very special part for me. And I'm really glad we are sharing today. Um, So when we do share communion, we're coming to the table together. Together we're holding the elements, we're considering our hearts, we're considering what the Lord has done through his son Jesus. Um, It's a really hard metaphor for me to work with, but the Passover has a lot of similarities to communion. Um, Christ, the sacrificial lamb, marked us with his blood so that we can be passed over. Just in the same way that Miriam and her family had marked their doorposts and they were passed over as the angel of the Lord was going through. So when we partake of communion this morning, don't take it too lightly. Yes, rejoice in the salvation that God has worked out on our behalf, but know the weight of it. The word glory in Hebrew has a sense of weightiness. It's heavy. The cross was heavy. The glory of God revealed is weighty. So let us remember. Um, Miriam, in her community, she found grace and mercy. Um, Even though she had angered God, she was loved and respected. She had complained against Moses and this angered the Lord. But when her community, and especially when Moses had advocated on her behalf 
the Lord allowed for her to be restored and healed after seven days. There were times in the desert when the people exasperated the Lord, um, but that exasperation was not because it was an inconvenience for the Lord to provide. Look at how the Lord provided. Look at the immensity and the accuracy of those plagues. Look at how he got them out of Egypt and carefully planned the demise of their enemies. But when the people were free, they became short-sighted. Isn't that true for all of us? But I want to tell you that it's okay to beg. Just beg anyway. Even if it's getting messy and you think you're going to exasperate the Lord, I'm telling you this because if you're in slavery, you need to get out. If someone's oppressing you, you need to get out. And we can't do this on our own. So I'm saying, beg anyway and watch as the Lord is faithful to respond. And give thanks. And as you give thanks, you are bearing the gospel. When you tell the wonders of God, you are also bearing the good news, just like Miriam with her song, Be a Gospel Bearer. Remember, it's all for God's glory, all of this. The crying out for the help, the works of deliverance, the giving of thanks, all of this has to do with God's glory. None of it is about us. Our restoration and our salvation is a beautiful act which powerfully demonstrates the goodness of our God. When Miriam sang this song about the horse and the driver being thrown into the sea, she was demonstrating with clarity the glory of the Lord. She, who was a child when the Pharaoh called for this mass execution of baby boys, knew something. She was called a prophet. She was the first woman in scriptures to be called a prophet. And she knew something. She knew the despair. That much is true, but that's not the whole truth. She knew more than that. This woman who complained about her brother Moses, she knew the fear of the one true Lord God Almighty. She also knew thanksgiving. That burst forth out of her after the tremendous rescue of her people, this rescue she had waited two lifetimes to witness. But she also knew hope. My dear friends, no hope. Get familiar Put yourself to those really basic tasks of working towards that hope. And know that it is beyond you, that God has already done the work, and all you have to do is just to be faithful to show up to the task. So get familiar with the hope of the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us and live in that truth. And if you find that it gets a little bit messy, it's okay too.